The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. As we start a new series called Spiritual Mathematics, the ironic thing about this series is I'm terrible at math. Anybody here, by the raise of hand, you're amazing at math, you love math. Come on, raise your hand if you love math. All right, all right. How many of you, you're like me, hater of math? Raise your hand, okay, absolutely. All right, so the ironic thing, uh, growing up, I was homeschooled, uh, homeschooled most of my life. Went to, call, went to high school for a few classes and I'll never forget walking into every community college and uh, they always make you take like a prerequisite test. So it's like you go in, you study, and then you take a test to see where you're gonna land, what math class you're gonna have to end up taking for your first year in college. Anybody have to take that class? A lot of people, okay. So took this class and um, I came in, anything above 100 is college level. I came in at math 27, okay? Which is about freshman high school math, all right? Um, horrible. And uh, took that class and failed it. And took that class again, winter quarter, and failed it. And took that class a third time and failed it. It was awesome. So I took math 27 three times in a row, failed it three times in a row. What's funny right now is we have uh, two little kids, one on the way, and right now, Lydia and June, man, I'm like their biggest hero ever. They, they love me, they think I'm amazing, I come home, they're excited, they're happy to see me, they think I can do anything, they think I'm available for anything, they think I can fix anything, they think I know everything. But as a young parent, okay, I don't know if you ever had this fear, as a young parent, I am dreading the day when my kids come home from school, okay? All right, any parent, you've been there already? My kids come home from school and they're like, so dad, I got, I got this math, you know? I, I had this equation. And they're gonna realize, wow, our dad is really not smart, okay? I'm dreading that day. I'm so bad at math. I'm amazing with my words, which is why I became a pastor, but I'm so bad at math. Well, today as we start a new series called Spiritual Mathematics, what we're gonna be doing, we're gonna be taking this series and taking just different equations um, and putting them together. And because I'm so bad at math, I had to study the greater than symbol this week just to make sure I got it right. But today's equation that we're gonna be talking about is that convictions are greater than emotions. That's the equation today. So if you're taking notes, convictions are greater than emotions. What we're gonna be discussing today. And in general, we're very emotional people. In fact, if you're like me and you're a Hawks fan, we get pretty amped up in front of a screen or at a game. We're very emotional people. And emotions, they're, they're good things. Their emotions kind of help us uh, fight or flight different feelings that we have. Emotions are amazing things. But if you don't understand the power of emotions, emotions have a way to really do some damage. Uh, one of the quotes from a movie, Inside Out. How many of you have ever seen the movie Inside Out? All right, a lot of us, okay? One of the movies, if you, th if you don't think you have emotions, watch this movie. One of the quotes from the anger character is, uh, congratulations, San Francisco, you've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians, now you. So if you don't know that quote, you should watch this movie. But that whole movie is about the power of emotions. And emotions are very, very powerful. They're very useful. They, they help us cope and manage in life. However, emotions can get the very best of us. They can lead us astray, they can trick us, they can even get us to believe 
false truths about our lives. Emotions have a way of helping us cope, but sometimes our emotions can lead us down the wrong path. Whenever I do uh, premarital counseling with people, they want to get married and they want to do some counseling sessions. When I sit down with them at some point throughout a session, I'll, I'll ask this question. I'll say, hey, what are some family traditions around the holidays? What are, what are some things that you do around the holiday seasons? And sometimes we state traditions as convictions. Okay, convictions are just beliefs. They're a, a convinced conscience. But sometimes when I'm sitting down with a couple, it's usually the gal, and uh, she'll say something like, well, in my family, Thanksgiving's always at this person's house, you know? Or in my family, we don't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Or in my family, we only open up one present on Christmas Eve and the rest on Christmas Day. We state sometimes even convictions and traditions as if they're emotions. But today we're gonna take it a little bit deeper. We're gonna talk about biblical convictions. We're gonna talk about what does it mean to have convictions? What does it mean to be a person of convictions? And so I wanna to read to you just a little bit of a description of what convictions are, and then we'll, we'll jump to the text today. So convictions, greater than emotions. Here's what convictions are. Conviction refers to a state of being convinced and confident that something is true. It means a strong persuasion or belief. In other words, conviction stands opposed to doubt and skepticism. When we think of a man of conviction or a woman of conviction, we also think in terms of action and direction. We think of a person whose convictions have a definite impact on how or he, she lives, on what, or, on what he or she does or says, and where he and she will go. By a man or woman of biblical convictions, we mean a man or woman whose convictions are derived from scripture and whose convictions affect him scripturally. Biblical conviction is really the product of three things that characterize the ideal Christian leader or the person of maturity. Number one, it's a commitment to scripture as one's authority. Number two, the construction of beliefs, specific beliefs and convictions based on that authority. And then lastly, the courage to act on those convictions in faith. Today we're gonna to look at a man that's very, very deeply full of convictions. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. I'm gonna set it up for you and then we'll, we'll jump in the text here. What we're gonna to read today is gonna to be about who we've talked about a lot in our church. It's about the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was a highly, highly emotional person. In fact, before he was ever the Apostle Paul, we know him in scripture in the, books of, in the book of Acts as Saul, the persecutor of the church. And he was a hot-tempered individual. He was a hothead. And he was wreaking havoc on the church by killing Christians and persecuting the early church. He was an extremely intense, emotional person who did everything he could to stop Christianity spreading. 
In fact, if you read in Acts, we've been reading it in our Bible reading plan, if you read in Acts at the stoning of Stephen, after Stephen is killed, the first martyr of the church, we see that they lay his garments at the apostle Paul, at that time known as Saul's feet. So it's this individual who's extremely emotional, extremely hot, extremely full of anger and rage, that God uses him in an encounter with him. What happens is in Acts chapter nine, Saul has this revelation or vision of Jesus standing before him saying, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my church? And it's through this revelation and series of events that Saul becomes Paul. He's also known as Saul throughout his letters as well, but he becomes the apostle Paul. And when we look at the New Testament, he wrote two thirds of what's in our Bibles today. So he went from this incredibly harsh, emotional individual to being a very deep person of conviction. And I wanna read to you in 1 Corinthians 9 what he says. We see his deep convictions all throughout his letters, but in particular, we see it here. Verse 15, he says, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only receive the prize? Only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. At least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray for God's word today. God, I thank you in this place that you are here moving in our lives. And I pray today in a series like this, God, where we're gonna take some different equations and provide truth of your word. I thank you today, God, that the truth you want us to hear today is that convictions are greater than emotions. That although, God, you've wired us with emotions and you've given us the ability to feel and sense and know, I thank you today, God, it's our beliefs, it's the things we are grounded in that really help lead us and guide us. And I thank you, God, for the Apostle Paul, who's gonna to speak to us once again through the scriptures. What you did in his life, God, you continue to do in others, you're drawing people to you. 
through a revelation of your son, Jesus. And so we thank you for it. And all God's people said, amen. What's so cool about this text that I'm, I'm reading today is Paul is reminding you and I that there's something holding him incredibly connected. There, there's just this, this deep joy and this deep conviction that he has, this deep belief he has about what he feels he's called to do. Now keep in mind, we're reading about a person who at one point was murdering and killing Christians. And now he's experienced this incredible transformation of God in his life. And he begins to plant churches and help spread the gospel to people, both Jew and Gentile. In this chapter nine, he's talking about his rights, surrendering his rights. He's saying, I give up my rights to collect any resources from you, though I could and I should, because I just feel called to preach the gospel. He uses this word in, in verse, let me see here, it's verse 17, I believe. He says that it's a stewardship. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? reward that, my, that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul is so deeply convicted and has this conviction to share the gospel with as many people as he can is that he surrenders any right to receive money for it. He surrenders any right to be a person of high status. He continues to fight and call people to come to faith in Christ because of his strong conviction that Christ is the hope of the world. He goes on in verses 19 through 23. He says, I believe so deeply in people knowing Jesus that I have become like these individuals in order to win more people. He says, though I'm free of all, I've made myself a servant of all that I might win more people for Christ. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. Continuing on here, he says, to those outside the law. So he's going back and forth about all these different ways that he's becoming like different people, all because of the strong conviction that he wants people to place their faith in Jesus. He says, I become weak to those who are weak. I become like this individual in order that I might win more people to the work of Jesus Christ. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. It's interesting because we know from history that Paul was an extremely, like I said earlier, an extremely emotional person. We know he had a major problem with anger and violent past. And yet he has this encounter with Christ that changes him from the inside out and he takes his passion and his anger and his zealousness and his hot temper and God uses that to bring other people to Christ. It's a pretty amazing thing if we think about sometimes our emotions and how they can really wreak havoc on our hearts and our minds. If we think about someone like Paul, we recognize that he was a person that was used for all this violence and all this rage, and yet he has this encounter with Jesus, and now Jesus takes his passion, his anger, his zest, and turns it for good in that song that we sang today. 
I want to continue on here in verse 24. This is where I really want to focus in on today. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is using an example of an athlete running. He's using this metaphor to describe the rigor and single-minded focus he has to wanting to win and pursue the advancement of the gospel. He's saying that there's people who run. In fact, this was written right around a time compared to the Olympics, these games called the um, Isminian Games happening in Corinth. So people knew what was going on. There was athletes always competing during Paul's day. And Paul, they say, may have even been in Corinth during these games. So people are understanding this metaphor of an athlete running, of someone reaching a prize, of someone crossing a finish line, of someone trying to win. Paul's saying that there's people right now in our world that are running and they're running trying to receive perishable wealth, trying to receive a perishable prize, trying to receive accolades, trying to get advancements, trying to find success, trying to find all these different rewards that ultimately just become useless. Paul says, he uses this metaphor so he can connect to the people of Corinth saying, listen, this is like running. This conviction I have is is like I'm running, but I'm not running for a success from man. I'm not running for some prize. I'm not running for a pat on the back. I'm not running to receive some gold medal or some type of a crown. I'm running for something that's imperishable. I'm running and I continue to run and pursue this deep conviction of mine for something far greater than any reward a person could give me. I'm running and I'm pursuing this conviction of people knowing Jesus, recognizing that I'm probably not going to get a lot of rewards for it in this life. There's going to be times where I'm going to be persecuted and we know he was. There's going to be times where I'm going to be kicked out of cities and we know that he was. There's going to be times where he's going to be shipwrecked, confused, broken, hurting, all of those things, and he was. But Paul is using this metaphor to get the people of his day to understand that we're running for something far greater, something far bigger, something far stronger than any person can give to us. And this is his conviction. He's deeply convicted about this. It's his conviction to pursue the gospel and let everybody know who Christ is. His conviction could be stated something like this. I will do whatever it takes, go anywhere, and endure anything for the sake of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If Paul could state his conviction, what it is, it would be stated like this. I will do whatever it takes. I will go anywhere and I will endure anything for the sake of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I do not run aimlessly, but I And I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
See, what he's saying is, and I've shared about it before, I love to run, I've done plenty of running. What he's saying is physically, every time you get out and go for a run, your mind always tells you to stop. Okay, your mind never tells you, I like the feeling of this. Okay, your mind, your mind never says to you, hey, this is awesome, keep going. Most of the time, it's a battle of the mind to continue to run and not stop. Paul's saying, this kind of running, this, I don't, he's like, I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not running just to run for the sake of it. I'm running because I want people so desperately to know Jesus that even when I'm tired, even when my mind says, don't talk to that person about Jesus, don't talk to that person about Jesus, don't go talk to that, don't go, don't, don't. I don't run aimlessly. I have a purpose. I have a conviction. I am deeply concerned about people around me that don't know Christ. I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not, I'm not doing it for anyone but for Christ and his work in my life. I have a goal. I have an end goal. I have a purpose in mind. And it's not an aimless thing. It's not a purposeless thing. I'm going to continue to pursue Christ and show people who they are and why he came to live and die. It's not an aimless thing. It's not pointless. He says, I don't box as one beating the air. I'm not just trying to hit nothing and do nothing and have no effect. No, no, no. I believe I have this deep conviction despite how I feel, despite my emotions, despite the ebb and flow of the day. I have this deep belief and deep conviction, Paul says, that I want to do everything I can with every mean I can, with every purpose in my heart to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. Christ. This is Paul. This is how, how radical his belief and his conviction was for people to know Jesus. He even uses this example of, I discipline my body. I, I keep it under control. I'm going to take care of my life because I want to be able to go as long as I can. I want to be able to live as long as I can and do as much as I can for the sake of people knowing Jesus. You guys hear what I'm saying? It's not, he's not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about physical running, but he's talking about spiritual running. He's saying, I'm doing this so others can see Jesus. I'm so convicted and convinced that if people find Jesus and find the hope of the world, then their life will be set on a path that's forever glorious and amazing. If they find Christ and I'm going to advance his kingdom, I'm going to do whatever I can. And I have this amazing purpose behind why I do what I do. I'm not going to stop. No matter how I feel, no matter the emotions that come in my way, my convictions are greater than my emotions. I mean, if we're honest in a room like this today, if I'm super honest, you don't wake up every day. I don't wake up every day wanting to be a Christ follower. I mean, this is the reality. You don't wake up every day with always feeling like everything's good. You don't wake up every day and feel that everything's always going to happen the way you want it. But this is why it's so important that we understand the power of convictions. That convictions are much greater than emotions. I want you to think uh, in terms of, of, of this way. That you and I, as we continue to be Christ followers, must develop convictions. We, we, we must develop convictions. There must be things about our lives that we hold to be true. There must be things about our lives. Where you know what? It's, it's like, the, like the family traditions, but way deeper. This is the way it is because I believe it's the way it is, and I'm going to choose to believe that way. That's a conviction. 
It, it requires us to develop convictions. It requires us to ask these two questions. What do we believe and what do we do with what we believe? What, what, what do I believe and what do I do with that kind of belief? What kind of response do I do with that kind of belief? Let me, let me give you some examples of, of some type of convictions that might be more helpful in explaining. Conviction. Here's a conviction. Our family will be a Christ-centered home. That's a conviction. That's a state of belief. My, my family will be a Christ-centered home. I believe that. I stand on that. I believe I'm going to walk that. My family will be a Christ-centered home. That's the belief. What's the action? The action would be, well, if my family's going to be a Christ-centered home, then I'm probably going to spend time reading the scriptures to my kids. That's the action. If I believe that my family is going to be a Christ-centered home, the action, simple, but the action is I'm going to spend time reading the scriptures to my kids because it's something I believe in. Here's another one for you. I will pursue and date my wife. That's a conviction. That's a conviction of mine. I hope it's a conviction of yours if you're married. That's a, that's a belief. That's something I believe in, I hold to, I want to live out. And if that is the belief, if that is the conviction that I will pursue and date my wife, guess what that looks like? That means I gotta make time to spend time with my wife. That's the action. You see what I'm saying? These are convictions. Let me give you, let me give you several more here. Belief, a conviction. Bible talks in 1 Corinthians in a different place that my body is the temple of God's spirit. That, that's a stated conviction. That my, my body, my physical body, is the temple of God's spirit. Well, if that's what I believe and that's the conviction that I hold to, then I'm gonna treat it well so that I can remain functional as possible for as long as possible. If, if I believe that God's spirit is inside of me and that my body, my physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that's a conviction. That's something I believe in and I state. Well, it probably means I need to stop eating Cheetos. I mean, it probably means I should go for a walk. It probably means I should get some physical exercise. I should take care of my physical body. Why? Because if I want people to know Jesus and I want to do this for a long time and I want to live a life centered on him, I got to take care of what's in front of me. Because it's a conviction. It's a belief. Here's another one. Again, just practical examples here. Prayer, reading scripture, worship, these basic spiritual rhythms, they're key tools to help my awareness of God's path for my life. I believe that. It's a conviction. I believe that if I read God's word, if and when I pray, if and when I worship, I believe my faith does something to move God. And I believe God moves me. That's a stated conviction. That's something I believe in. Well, if I believe it, then therefore I have to, if the action is, if the belief is prayer, reading the word and listening to worship, I gotta make room in my daily life for spiritual exercise. I gotta make room for my daily, why? Because I believe it. And it's deeper than an emotion. See, the reason why I want you to understand this equation so desperately 
that convictions are greater than emotions is because there's gonna be times in your life where emotions are gonna try to outweigh your convictions, where your emotions are gonna try to get the best of you, when things in life are gonna happen and your emotions are gonna overwhelm you, but if you have strong, developed, grounded convictions, I'm here to tell you, you will not be moved because you've been grounded and you're a person of convictions. Can I hear an amen? Let me give you another one. Belief, another, another conviction, that Christ is the way, that Christ is the way, the truth and the life. We believe that, that's Christ followers. We believe Christ is the way, the truth and the life. If I believe it, then the action is, man, I'm gonna put my faith in Christ because that's the action to that belief. It's a deep conviction. Another conviction, that community, connection, relationship, community is essential to my faith journey. I believe that. I've shared it before. I've always been connected to other believers. I've always been in a small group. I've always hung out and gotten to know and iron sharpens iron as Proverbs teaches. If I believe that, if you believe that, then the action is I need to get into community. I need to get into relationship. I need to get around others that can build me up because it's a stated conviction of mine. Another one here, the belief that God's work has always been provided by God's people. I believe that. I believe this church wouldn't happen if God's work wasn't provided by God's people. I believe the advancement of the gospel would not happen unless God's work was provided by God's people. I believe missionaries all around the world who we talked about last Sunday who are spreading the gospel and telling others about Jesus would not happen unless the work was provided by God's people. And if I believe that conviction that God's work has always been provided by God's people, guess what the action is? I gotta be generous. I gotta give because I believe it. So you have, to, you have to remember that you and I live in a world today and a culture today that says, hey, how you feeling? Whatever you feel, do. It's awesome. Just go with it. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, sweet. And I'm here to tell you, man, that's not what the, te- the scriptures teach us today. The, the scriptures teach us that you and I must be grounded. Psalms 1 says, you're like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit. I want to be a grounded person. I don't want to be tossed to and from by the winds. I want to be grounded and I want to be a person of conviction. This is really important because a lot of times on, on Sundays like this, I see a lot of young people that are in the room. You're a student, freshman in college, you're in high school still, and I really believe this kind of sermon is perfect for you today. Because what happens when we grow up is we develop and hear truths and learn from our parents. We, we learn kind of what, what's right from wrong and what we should and shouldn't do from our parents, but there comes a point, definitely in high school years, especially college years, when you, young person, must become a person of conviction yourself. You you must go from, well, my parents believe this to do I believe this? Do do I believe what I was taught or heard or was said? Is this gonna be something that becomes my own thing? Am I gonna develop those kind of convictions? 
See, it's, it's when you develop these kind of convictions, when you're faced with choices in life, and you're faced with circumstances in life, and you're faced with decisions, that they're pretty easy to decide whether or not you should do them or not. Do they align with your convictions? Do they align with what you believe? Remember, if I go back to what I said earlier and what these convictions are, biblical convictions, I mean, let me just read what, what I wrote here just one more time. Here's what convictions are. Biblical convictions are the product of three things. A commitment to scripture as one's authority, the construction of specific beliefs and convictions based on that authority, and the courage to act on those convictions in faith. The courage to act on those convictions. It means that it's not just important for me to have convictions and believe something to be true, it's actually important in my life that when I'm faced with decision making, and I come to a, a decision in my life where I have to choose which way I'm gonna go, it's the courage to act on those convictions. It's that courage to go, you know, I've believed it, I've always believed it, but now I'm faced with an opportunity where I have to actually live it, and I'm gonna live it by faith. I'm gonna live it by faith. One, one person's in the room, I'm gonna live it by faith. It's so important we understand that convictions are greater than emotions. Here's, here's your homework today, and then I'm gonna end with a, a story about a man, another person who has had deep convictions. Here, here's your homework for today. I want you to think, when you leave today, I want you to think, what, what are my stated convictions? I mean, I gave you a bunch of different examples here of just ways to kind of flesh it out with you because I like to be practical, but what, what are your stated beliefs, convictions? What are things that you hold to that say, you know, I do this because I believe this. I, I, and, and sometimes for us who've been Christ followers for a long time, we, we, this is easy for us because we can go, you know, I've done these things and I've seen God move. And that's why I continue to believe this way. But, but what are the things that you would say are your deep-seated convictions, things that you believe, things that you hold to, and then here's a different question for you to think about today. What emotions are blurring or moving you away from what you know to be true? What, what kind of emotions have been creeping in even this morning where you, that are moving you away from realizing, mm, wait a second, that's not, that's not what I believe. Why have I been doing? What, how have your emotions or your feelings pulled you away from what you know and want? to be true. Just a couple things I want you to think about when you, when you leave today. I wanna to read a story today that is very powerful about a man of deep conv convictions. It's about a guy by the name of Eric Little. Eric Little was born January 16th, 1902. His parents were missionaries to China and he was raised there until five years old. Then he enrolled in a private school in London. He excelled in sports, especially running. And he grew up, his passion, as he grew up, his passion brought him accolades and medals. By the time of the 1924 Olympics, he was good enough to compete. But the preliminary races to qualify for the 100 meters, that was a certain race, the 100 meter race, were held on a Sunday 
and Eric's passion for honoring the Sabbath as a Christ follower overruled racing. He held out and missed competing in the 100 meter race. But there was a weekday race in the 400 meters he competed in instead. Liddell was considered to be a strong favorite for the race. Before the final, the U.S. Olympic individual slipped a piece of paper into his hand. It included the words from 1 Samuel 2.30. Those who honor me, I will honor. Sprinting from the start, Liddell created a significant gap to the other runners, and he held on to win gold and set a new Olympic record time of 47.6 seconds. He described his race plan. The secret of my success over the 400 meter is that I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can. Then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run faster. In 1925, Liddell returned to Northern China to serve as a missionary like his parents. In China, he remained fit, but only competed sporadically. Liddell married a Canadian missionary and had three daughters. In 1941, the advancing Japanese army pressed Liddell and his family to flee to a rural mission station. Liddell was kept very busy dealing with the stream of locals who came to the station for medical treatment and food. In 1943, the Japanese reached the mission and Liddell was put into consecration camps, prison camps. Abrogated by the shortage of food and medical treatment, Liddell developed a brain tumor and suffered severe ill health. Many people in prison with him attested to the strong moral character of Liddell. He was seen as a great unifying force and helped to ease tensions through his selflessness and impartiality. In his book, The Courtyard of the Happy Way, Norman Cliff wrote about Liddell, the finest Christian gentleman It has been my pleasure to meet. In all the time in the camp, I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Another fellow person in the camp, Stephen Metcalf, later wrote of Liddell, he gave me two things. One, his worn out running shoes, but the best thing he gave me was his baton of forgiveness. He taught me to love my enemies, the Japanese, and to pray for them. Eric Liddell died on February 21st, 1945. Five months before liberation, he died from an operable brain tumor. Although overwork and malnutrition undoubtedly hastened his death, it was revealed after the war that Liddell had turned down an opportunity to leave the camp as a part of a prisoner exchange program, preferring instead to give his place to a pregnant woman. His death left a profound vacuum within the camp. Such was the strength of his personality and character. In 2002, a poll voted Eric Liddell as the most popular Scottish sports figure of all time. It's interesting because if we look at a picture like this and think of this individual, we realize the power of convictions greater than emotions. We understand that he would not run on a Sunday because he wanted to honor God and honor the Sabbath and keep it holy because that was his convictions. But his convictions went beyond just running. He had a conviction of wanting to be a light in a dark place in a prison camp and did everything he could to show people the love of Christ, even in that severe situation. I pray today for you and I that we believe convictions are way greater, far greater than emotions. 
Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you that we don't live, Lord, by what we feel or how happy it may make us. God, today we're reminded through your word, through Paul, through Eric Little, God, through these practical examples, we're reminded today that convictions are greater than emotions. That you call us to develop these strong beliefs. You call us to have these strong beliefs because we know, Lord God, they will guide us, they will ground us, they will keep us from doing harm. And so I just pray today, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just remind us once again that you are with us. That if our emotions have been pulling us astray or leading us to a place we shouldn't be, I pray you'd pull us back to remind us what do we believe? Why do we believe it? What do we hold to be true? Why do we believe those things are true? And that those convictions would lead and guide us, God, every single day. More than anything, God, my prayer today is that we would have a passion to see people like Paul did know you. That, God, we run this spiritual race. We follow you, God, so that others can hear and know who you are, Jesus. That is our pursuit. That is why we're here today. And so we thank you for it in your good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.